All right, y'all buckle your seatbelts. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Um, we're going to cover Nehemiah 11 and 12 today, just to give you an idea of what's going on. And it's a whole lot of names and lists and some other things. So what you're going to get this morning is a whole lot of Bible, a little bit of commentary, and some quick bullet point applications, okay? I just figured this was the best way to do this as opposed to having two Sundays where we're reading names and lists with little bits of application in it. And this sets us up, this sets us up for one more week of Nehemiah, Lord willing. Then we're looking at going into Malachi, which is the same time period as this, to close out this time segment for us. And then probably our goal is to move into the Gospel of Matthew after that. So that just gives you a snapshot of where we're going. Now, let's look back real quick, quickly, on where we've been. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia, and he heard that things weren't going well in Jerusalem, that the walls were broken down, and that the people of God were in disgrace. And he had a, a burden and a, a desire to get to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now, I'm going to ask you all a question. Participation, were the walls the goal? The answer is no. The wall was a means to an end. And the end that we are shooting for is temple worship reestablished and committed to in Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem being the dwelling place of the people of God for the glory of God. That's always been the goal here in Nehemiah. The walls were a great project that needed to be done, but the, walls, the wall was a means to an end. We are looking for worship in the city of God, by the people of God, to the glory of God, according to the design of God. Today, we get to see that goal accomplished. Don't you love it when you get a goal accomplished, when you get something and it happens? What I'm going to do for the public reading is what we're working toward, which is Nehemiah 12, 30 through 39. We'll read that and then we'll build up and there's a few verses after that at the end. But this is what we're building up to. This was the goal. This is what we're looking for. So if you would stand, we're going to read this publicly and honor God with reverence as we stand before the sovereign of all creation, the God that we sang to this morning and understand Everything that we read from the Scriptures this morning, this included, are the very words of God. And that should make us take notice. And hopefully we do. Nehemiah 12, 30-39. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachor, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Melali, Gilale, Ma'ai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. To the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north 
And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. Let me pray. God, we are not smarter than you. And that is very easy to say. But I pray, God, that we would understand that this morning. That we would look at how your Bible is put together and that we would rejoice in your sovereign knowledge. And God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would work on us, in us, and through us to bring glory to your name. Holy Spirit, teach your people. Holy Spirit, convict sinners. And Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Keep in mind as we progress through these readings and through these lists and through this long passage, and it is a long passage, our goal is worship. Not just this morning when we're together. In our lives every day, our goal is worship. And what should that worship look like corporately? What should, that corp- what should that worship look like individually? Those are the questions that I want you to be asking yourself as we come to this because when we come to application, we're going to talk about the process that they went through to get to the place of public, corporate, temple worship and how they celebrated the availability of a place to worship, how they celebrated the people who were worshiping and how they celebrated God through this worship. So... Let's get in here. We're going to start with Nehemiah 11, verses 1 and 2. Keep in mind what we saw last week. We saw them renew the covenant the week before last, right? Am I, am I straight in my head? Who, who was here last week? Who remembers? Huh? We saw them renew the covenant, and then we saw them what? That was last week, right? Am I, am I missing a week? We were gone a week. Last week they renewed the covenant. Yeah. Okay, I'm making sure that I'm in the same vein of thought. So they renewed the covenant, public writing, what they said they were going to do in response to the law of God that they had received. So now they're going to do it, what it looks like. So Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now remember, this city, Jerusalem, with these new walls, was basically unpopulated. Nobody lived there. People preferred to live in the town surrounding so that they could homestead and build a life of their own. But here we see that the leaders, which is probably Nehemiah and his cohorts, were living in the city. And that's about it. But then they started casting lots, which if you remember in Esther, it's rolling a dice basically to get a, a number or a decision based on uh, what, what the dice shows. So they're rolling dice and they're like, snake eyes, you've got to live in the city. That's what's going on here. Okay, One out of ten had to come and live in the city according to what the lot said. Now can you imagine... You've come back and you've made this. Some of these people have been back for oh, 80 years or so. Some of these people just got back not too long ago, maybe a few months. And now they're rolling dice to see if you've got to live in the city or not. And living in the city was not a desirable thing. To live in the city was to forfeit your normal way of life. 
and it would surely see some activity from enemies who would try to take over the city or try to discredit what was being done here. We've seen that time and time again through Nehemiah. But look at verse 2 again. So they're casting lots. One out of ten has to come live in the city. Verse 2, though, says, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now this is not a separate group of people. And what I mean by that is, these are the lottery losers. These are the people who got picked to live in the city. But they don't buck the system. They willingly offered to live there after they were chosen to have to live there. Now get that straight because that's important. We'll talk about that in application. So they lose the lottery and then the people blessed these people who lost the lottery and defined them as those who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So you don't have three groups of people living in Jerusalem. The leaders, those who lost the lottery, and those who were willingly coming. You've got the leaders and the people who lost the lottery who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now think about that for just a second. The way things are set up, you have to live in Jerusalem. Okay. They didn't him haul around, try to buck the system and say, yeah, but I got this. They said, okay. Thus saith the Lord, we'll do it. Now, verses 3 through 9. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Attiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalel, of the sons of Perez. And Messiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhaza, son of Hazaiah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Koliah, son of Messiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasanua, was second over the city. Now, all I'm going to say about that is this is a list of people who were heads of families who moved and settled in Jerusalem with their families. And they traced their lineage back all the way to Perez, which that's way back, early in the, in the Old Testament. That's all we're going to say about that. Now, verses 10 through 20. Of the priests, Jediah the son of Joyrib, Jachin, Seriah the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Meriah, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God. And their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Adiah the son of Jehoram, son of Pelilah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pasher, son of Malchijah. And his brothers, heads of father's houses, 242. And Amash, Amashasi? Hold on, Amash, I don't know what that says. Amashsai. Let's say Amashsai. I don't know. The son of Azrael, the son of Ahazi, son of Meshilamoth, son of Emmer. And their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadalam. I like that one, Hagadalam. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni, and Shabbatai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites who were over the house, who were over the outside work of the house of God. And Madaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, that's a good one too. The second among his brothers, and Abda the son of Shemua, son of Galal, the son of Jaduthan. 
All the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and of the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. Now, quickly, these folks were temple staff who moved into the city instead of traveling to the city when it was their time to serve. Priests and Levites were on a rotation. And instead of living out here and coming and serving for a month, all these people just went ahead and moved into the city because they knew that people needed to be there and they knew that their time to serve, it would be convenient for them to be there anyway. So it was a sacrifice and here they are. So these are temple staff who moved into the city. Now, verses 21 through 24. But the temple servants lived on Ophel, and Zihah and Gishpah were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers, over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them, and a fixed provision for the singers, as every day required. And Pethahiah the son of Meshezebel of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. We're getting there, y'all. So, this is kind of additional information about some folks and some connections to the king of old. They mentioned King David. This list reaches back, and this is going to be a theme that you're going to see over and over again. This list reaches back to show some of the people's ancestors and an unbroken line from the original kingdom to the first return of exiles, which was in Ezra's time, we saw in Ezra 1 through 6, and then to the current state and population. What they're doing is going all the way back to King David, coming back to the first return from the exile and now into their time, and showing how all these people were connected. And that this wasn't just some ragtag bunch of people, these people had a heritage. Okay? 25 through 36, here we go. You ready? And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Debon and its villages, and in Jacobzeel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Malada and in Beth Pelet, in Hazar Shual and Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and Mekana and its villages, and in Rimon, in Zora, in Jarmuth, Zanoah, Adullam and their villages, Lachish and its fields, and Azekah and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. I wish I had a map of that, but I don't. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash, Ijah, Bethel and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Getayim, Hadid, Zeboam, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Now, this list shows eight of the 20 places where the people had settled. We saw uh, back in chapter 7, and I doubt you remember it. I didn't remember it. I had to go back and look. We saw in chapter 7 20 places where the people had settled. These are eight of those 20 places. Okay? Seems like towns are worse than names. Okay? They're harder to pronounce than the names. Now, this also provides connection to pre-exile Israel, as these towns have, Jew- have had Jewish inhabitants in them all the way through Israel's history. Not everybody got exiled. The poorest and the lame and all the people that the king didn't want from Babylon, he left them in the land. Some of these places had Jewish people in them throughout their entire history, from the time that the, well, from the, time that the Israelites were in the Promised Land until now. So this is just providing a connection to pre-exile Israel and their history all the way through. There's a weaving of the past 
in with the present in these lists. Okay? So now we're through chapter 11. That wasn't too bad, right? Now chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. So just real quick, this is the first returning exiles back in Ezra's time. Okay, remember these guys, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Jeshua? He was the first high priest. I'll get into that in a minute, sorry. I just want you to see that, what's going on here. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Ido, Genethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Maida, that ain't even close, Maadiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. Okay, keep that in mind. And the Levites, Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Madaniah, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbukiah and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Yeshua was the father of Joachim, Joachim the father of Eliashib, Eliashib the father of Joida, Joida the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Jadua. And in the days of... Oh, I better stop there. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Okay, this list traces the lineage of the priests and the Levites from the first returned exiles and what we saw in Ezra 1 through 6, who had built the altar in the temple, which would have been completed in around 520 B.C. So keep in mind, we are currently in Nehemiah 12 in 444 B.C. So we've covered 76 years of history between Ezra 1 and Nehemiah 12. And included in that was the story of Esther. Okay, so what we're doing now is we're bringing all of this stuff together. We're trying to bring the last, I don't know, what have we done? Six months or so in Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah. This is bringing all of that together through a list of names. And again, we don't like lists of names. We're kind of like, eh, we got to get. I was going to have y'all stand for reading 11 through 12 just to see if you could do it. Just see if you start falling like flies. But I decided not to do that. So, we've covered 76 years of history, which would be about four generations. A generation is usually about 20 years is what they consider. So, four generations, they've reached back here and are bringing it into the present. Now, again, see the meticulous way that these people protected the history and family lines regarding all that was going on. And they could even trace further back, which we saw when they were talking about Perez and such, they could trace all the way back to Aaron, the original high priest which we've seen throughout Ezra and Nehemiah. So these names, these lists to them were a big deal. We read them in our Bible and we're like, I'm just going to skip those because I can't pronounce them. Listen, I think it's very important. We say that all Scripture is inspired by God. Is this inspired by God? Is there value in reading it? Is there value in hearing it? There is. I don't quite understand it, y'all. I've struggled with this all week long. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wish I was glad I was doing it. I am glad I'm doing it, but it's tough. It is tough. Why? I don't know fully, but we're not smarter than God. And if God put it in the book, we're going to read it. I, I thought about cutting some of this out and just... Cover, and I can't. I can't do it. We've got to cover what's in the book. I want you to have, after we finish with Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah, I want you to have heard, if you've been here, every word of these scriptures. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. So that's why we're doing this. That's why I'm 
struggling with these names in your public hearings. It's like a public crucifixion. I'm just up here saying, Sally, I'm Ali, I'm Ali, I don't know. We're doing it on purpose, okay? And it was a big deal to them. This show, this, one thing that this shows is that these were real people in a real time. And they could trace it all the way back to creation, which we'll see. Will we see that in Matthew? No, yeah, we'll see it in Matthew. All the way back to Adam. It's amazing. So, this is important to them, should be important to us, even though maybe we don't know exactly why. Now, verses 12 through 21. And in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses, of Sariah, Mariah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehoanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Haram, Adna, of Marioth, Helkiah, Helkiah, of Ido, Zechariah, of Genethon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Miniamin, of Modiah, Piltai, of Bilgah, Shemua, of Shemaiah, Jehonathan. That's the closest you'll ever see me speaking in tongues, by the way. Of Joyarib, Metaniah, of Jediah, Uzi, of of Sali, Kali, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jedidiah, Nathanael. Okay, that's through 21. We'll take another breath. Let me explain who these people are. These are just additional priests who were included in the regular temple worship. Okay? Now, 22 through 26. In the days of Eliashib, Joida, Joanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius or Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the days of Jehoan, Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. I'm completely lost with my tongue at this point. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God. Keep that in mind. Watch by watch. Madaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. Okay. Note here again, the connection in this list of Levites, which is what, that, that's a bunch of Levites, that it covers a lot of ground, talking about the time of Darius the Persian. It talks about the book of Chronicles, which is in your Old Testament. It talks about David, the man of God. It talks about Ezra, and it talks about Nehemiah. So again, what they're doing is they're grabbing all of this stuff and putting it together in a big ball so that they can say, this is all the same thing. Back then it was this. When we were in exile, it was this. And now that we're back here again, it's this. These are the people who are responsible for leading worship in the house of God. A blending of people and commands from the past that affect the present and hopefully the future. This is the Jewish way of life. The great King David, the pagan King Darius, Ezra the scribe, Nehemiah the governor, and all these priests and Levites have a significant part to play in the worship of God. What's our goal this morning? Worship. All of these people, all of these times, God had a plan for worship. Now, what we're going to see in verses 27 through 43 is a party. A big celebration to dedicate the wall that had been completed a month prior. We're a month past the wall being completed. Now, what I want you to do, first of all, is note the genius of Nehemiah here. 
He didn't have a big blowout party the day that the walls were finished. He knew that life had to be manufactured and there had to be people and priests and provisions to develop a regular rhythm of life within the walls before they could properly celebrate the walls. Because the walls were not the goal. What was the goal? Worship. So this that we're about to see in 27 through 43, this is the fulfillment of Nehemiah's vision and mission. Not the walls, this. This is what he was looking forward to, not just some rebuilt walls, but life and worship and celebration taking place in the city of God. This will be the fulfillment of that. Now watch the celebration. We're going to read 27 through 29. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. Okay. So there's an ingathering of all the Levites everywhere and throughout all Israel to come and participate in this celebration. Remember the Levites? They weren't the priests, they were the temple workers. And they say, every Levite through all Israel that's settled in the land anywhere, come. And it says that they celebrated with gladness, thanksgiving, singing, and cymbals, harps, and lyres. Not people that tell lies, but stringed instruments, okay? And there were singers wrangled from surrounding villages to come and party too. Now watch this, verse 30, just 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, note this carefully. They didn't just come and party. The priests and Levites purified themselves, not just themselves. They also purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, how do you purify a gate and a wall? No one, listen, no one approaches God in His holiness without seeking purification first. You do not strut into the presence of holy God and say, Congratulations, I'm here, we're going to have a party. I have been in places where that was the case. You do not come into the presence of God without purification. We celebrate it every week. And we remember the purification that was purchased for us through the death, through the body, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are purified because of Christ. This is pre-Christ. And they're looking forward to this purification. And they purify themselves, the gates, the walls, and all the people. Now what would that entail? There would have been a sprinkling of water, which was symbolic. There would have been animal sacrifice, blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins, God had said in His law. The priests and the Levites were probably abstaining from sex. They were probably fasting. And they were probably taking very pointed procedures and steps leading up to this time to purify themselves so that they could symbolically purify everybody else. They were speaking for the people, the gates and the walls. 
If you ever get a chance, Derek Thomas is a, an associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. He's got a great series on Nehemiah. He's the one that was talking about this purification stuff. I want to give him his proper credit there about what it would have entailed to purify themselves. He points out in that that these are the things that the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, and the book of Numbers call for as needed for purification. Sprinkling of water, animal sacrifice, abstinence from sex, fasting, and other things to be pure. So there was some purposeful, pointed preparation for all of this. And it wasn't who's bringing the meatballs. It was, are we right? Are we clean? Are we pure? Are we ready to approach a holy God? Is that what Sunday morning looks like, by the way? This preparation was so that these priests, these Levites... These people, these gates in this wall could be used for godly purposes. So this celebration was worship, and worship takes purposeful preparation. More on that in the application. Now, here we go. 31 through 39. I think it's our... No, it's not. Never mind. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. Now, who's talking now? I. What's the name of the book we're studying, y'all? Thank you. All right, so I. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up under the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate. And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah. And certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Azarel, sorry, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before, him, before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. Now, let me paint the picture of what's going on here, because it's really pretty cool. Again, we already said we see Nehemiah use I to refer to himself. Now, we haven't seen him be I since chapter 7, verse 5. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but it's been like a historical record, not a personal memoir. Now we get back into the personal memoir. A lot of commentators say this is a return to his personal record after he inserted the historical stuff in the middle of it. Either way, it's a historical record and a personal memoir. That, that he's compiling here. Uh, but now what we see, we've got Ezra and we've got Nehemiah. And they're separated into two groups. One has a group with him, the other has a group with him, and they start at the wall. Now let me show you. I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not. Okay, remember the walls that we saw? See the, the long, skinny? That's the new walls. And they started at the bottom. And you've got the yellow lines going up the one side and the red lines going on the one side. That's exactly what was just described here. Okay? They started on the bottom of the wall and they went opposite directions until they came up to the top of the wall there, which is where the temple is. 
So you've got these priests, these Levites, these singers, and they're walking on the wall, and they're worshiping, and they're singing, and they're calling out in, in antiphonal response. This side would say, praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. And they're marching around on top of the wall. And it's a beautiful picture. Can you just imagine the triumph and the victory and the celebration? Praise be to God. I'm sure they were singing some psalms. I don't know what psalms they would have been singing. They would have been singing about Jerusalem being the glory of all the earth as they marched around the walls, calling out to one another, going over that mile and a half wall until they met up at the top there and then started to go into the temple. Now get that picture. Think about it. A mile and a half long wall and they're marching on top of it in opposite ways and coming up together to meet up here and then to come into the temple together. They had some trumpets and some lyres and some harps and people were shouting and people were singing. And they were excited. Up on the wall, meeting at the temple. They walked on the wall in opposite directions, calling out in call and response fashion praising and worshiping all the way. And I would just point out again the references to their past and the greatness of the kingdom and the greatness of this city and the greatness of their worship and the greatness of King David who would have been a thousand years ago. Now it's curious to me, David never worshiped in a temple. David wanted to build a temple and God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. Your son's going to build a temple. But David had made provisions talking about what instruments they would play, when they would play it, what songs they would sing. And that's what they're following right now. What David, the man of God, had prescribed. They're reaching back and make, to make sure they honored their glorious past in their present day worship. We would be wise to do the same. Verses 43 through 47. I'm sorry, 40 through 43. I jumped ahead of myself there. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. So they've met up and now they're in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamon, Micaiah, Elioani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. There's some trumpets. And Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehoanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Whoa! So now they stand in the temple, in the house of God, singing and worshiping and sacrificing and rejoicing. And it says that they did these things for God had made them rejoice with great joy. When we are talking about our goal being worshipped, listen to me. True worship is God birthed. They rejoiced with great joy. Why? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. God is the focus of our worship. God is the source of our worship. And their joy was corporate. All were included. The women and the children also rejoiced, it said. And then that last sentence, And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far Fourth of July, Independence Day, you'll hear the fireworks, right? That are across town. You can sit here and hear them. You probably see them from here. This might be a good place to see them. 
a little far off, but you, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> dogs cowering everywhere in dog houses. Get that picture here. This was loud. And they could hear it far away. What in the world's going on in Jerusalem? What are them crazy Jews doing? I don't know, but they sound happy. What if the people of God celebrated that way? Again, not mindlessly, not just for fun, but with a God-birthed joy for who God is and what God has done. People can hear us worshiping God far off. I'm not saying loud is a goal. But I'm saying, what if it happens? And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This isn't some docile, somber assembly. They'd done that already. Their joy was seen and heard far away. And then verses 44 through 47, we see that they weren't just mindlessly partying. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Wow. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So they're partying, and they're having a good time, and you can hear it a long ways off, but that's not all they're doing. In the midst of the celebration, there was some administrative work going on. People were put over the storerooms, over the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes to gather that stuff and distribute it as needed. Okay? So, a one-day party is fine and fun, but they wanted this worship to endure. So they planned for what would need done on an ongoing basis as they saw what was happening and they saw it unfold. And I'll mention one more time, they reached back to the commands of David and Solomon to see what was prescribed for their rules and order. They were not flying blind. They had a blueprint of how all this was supposed to be done, and they followed it. And these practices continued, it says, all the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, providing for the priests and the Levites so the worship could go on uninterrupted. So well done, Nehemiah. He got it done. And we just made it through two chapters of Scripture. Wasn't too bad, was it? You're like, well... <laughs> now, so let's apply this, okay? Let's apply this massive text. And what's our goal? Okay, glad both of y'all were listening. Seeing as how all of this has to do with worship, my question for us today is, how do we apply this in our Individual lives, yes, but more so in our corporate worship. It's interesting to watch you all sing on Sundays. And I'm not saying it's, you're doing it wrong or bad, but it's interesting. I like to watch it. Some people are just disengaged. They're not there. They ain't singing. They ain't thinking about what's going on. Some people, man, are singing. 
Some people are engaged. How does all of this bring us to a place of celebrative corporate worship? Okay. I got six points. Are you ready? I'm, I told you they'd be bullet point points, okay? Bullet point application points. And they all end with eight. And after we finish eating today, we will have ended with eight, right? <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Um, so here are the six things that I see that they did that we should do too if we are going to engage in glorious, joyful corporate worship, okay? The first one is abdicate. I'll explain them, okay? The second one is congratulate. Commemorate. Populate. Consecrate. What's the last one? Somebody. Come on, you know what it is. Celebrate. Yes, that's it. So it's abdicate, congratulate, commemorate, populate, consecrate, celebrate the animal we ate. No, that's... uh, I'm reaching back to some 1980s in excess for those of you. Anybody get that, by the way? Not just my wife. Okay. We're the only weirdos here that understand that. Abdicate, congratulate, commemorate, populate, consecrate, celebrate. Okay. We'll touch them all one at a time. First one is abdicate. That means to give up. If somebody is seated on the throne and they give up their rule to somebody else, they abdicate their throne to someone else. Abdicate, give up. Give up your rights if we are going to corporately worship together. It calls for sacrifice. I don't like this, or I don't like that. I don't like it when this person's playing, or I don't like it when we do that song. I don't like the way we do that song. Stop it. Just stop it. You're never going to worship God if all you're doing is picking apart the way things are done. So give up your rights, give up your desires, and just sing with the people that are here the songs that are being sung. But I'd like to stop. What are we here for? Your preferences? Or are we here to worship God? I'm not saying your preferences are wrong or bad. But I'm saying if you're harboring them in your heart while we get together to sing, there's something wrong. Give it up. Let it go. Abdicate it. It was a big deal for these people to get drafted to live in the city. Nobody lived there and it was not given to spaciousness and growing crops or raising livestock. They basically had a lottery where the winners were losers. If your name was called, you had to live in the city. And one in ten had to do that. And remember what we said, verse 2 said of chapter 11, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. That's the verse directly after it said they cast lots to see who was being conscripted to live in the city. So they had to, but they willingly offered, not resisting the outcome. They said... Amen. So be it. I'll do it the way it's being done. Is there anything more divisive in the church today than music? I don't think there is. What if we set aside our preferences and just worshiped God when we sang corporately as a body? 
That's what these people did. They got picked to live in the city. They didn't say, oh, God, fine, I'll go, but I'm not going to like it. It ain't right. It shouldn't be me. Don't they know I got 40 acres over in Ono? I'll go. No, they said, amen. All right, we will do what God has called us to do. I'll stop on the music thing, okay? Our call here is to see what God says, like we saw last week, and willingly, purposefully sacrifice the things He calls us to sacrifice. Last week we talked about things like marriage and the Sabbath, right? And they didn't fuss and try to find loopholes. They just said, okay, this is what we'll do. This is what the law says. In this case, the lot calls us to live in Jerusalem, so we will do it. I'll sacrifice my rights and my wants. God calls us to sacrifice. Being distinct from the culture should be done willingly, not in a resistant way. We cannot worship God if we are gritting our teeth, wishing we could live like the world, individually and corporately. Let me read something as far as sacrifice. King Dave, this is the longest application point, by the way. King David, who was referenced so many times in today's passage, was buying land to sacrifice on to help avert a plague. And some people say, which was actually the land that the temple would end up being built on. And I think that's right. And he goes and he tells the owner of the land, this is what's going on. Now watch what happens here. 2 Samuel 24, 21-24. Aruna, who owned the land, said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Let me ask you something. What has it cost you to worship God? Individually, as a family, as a corporate body. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Lackadaisical laissez-faire, yawning while I'm doing it, worship, guys, is not worship. It's not. You say, you don't know my heart. Yes, I do. I do. If that is your heart, it's not worship. Sometimes we have to soldier through and we have to make ourselves when we don't feel like it. Yes, that's sacrifice. True, individual, family, and corporate worship calls for sacrifice. And we look to the Word of God, we see how to do it, and then we do it God's way. And we give up our rights. Think Abraham and Isaac. I want you to take your son, your only son, and offer him to me. That's worship. You say, well, I get up early on Sunday morning. Okay. Okay, that's something. I try to be here every week, even though sometimes I don't want to. Okay. That's sacrifice. But you get a blessing in return, don't you? Hope so. So abdicate. 
was the first one. We've seen it in them. Hopefully we see it in our lives. The second is congratulate. Okay. I'll try to be as quick as I can with this. Congratulate. Man, that's a lot of names here. Over two chapters, there's a lot of individual names listed. And I think it's smart of Nehemiah to purposefully record these things with people's names in it. Hey, there's my name. Hey, Nehemiah remembered me. And there is power when a person is a person to you. Congratulate them. That may mean shaking their hand. That may mean speaking to them while you're getting your coffee. Let me challenge you with something. Put your phones down while you're here and talk to people. Just a thought. You are in the congregation of the people of God. These are the people that Jesus died to save. These are the people who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people who form a great multitude in Revelation who will gather around the throne and worship Jesus for eternity. These are the children of God. And there may be people that come that don't know Jesus. And we need to make a beeline to those people, love on them, shake their hand, hug their neck, preach the gospel to them, get them a donut. Nehemiah congratulated these people who did their job and did it well. The people who were there. If we're going to worship corporately here in this place, we need to acknowledge one another. Now some of you got upset about the phone thing. I know you use your phone for your Bible. I get that. I get that. I'm saying what's more important, the people that are here or the people on your social media? Put it down. Look in people's eyes. Watch people smile. It's wonderful. Look for the people that you can tell are struggling. Go ask them if you can pray for them. Something I can help you with? Something you need prayer for? Congratulate. Don't let anyone in this building be a nameless, faceless being that you don't have some contact and time with. Again, all we got to do is say hi in the coffee room or sit down and talk to somebody back there while we're eating. And talk and get to know people. Nehemiah made sure that all those who had a part in what was happening here got recognized. And we need to be just as intentional in the lives of these people that meet here every week. And maybe outside these walls, ask somebody over. Eat ice cream together. Right, Steve? Can I get an amen? Amen to ice cream? Some of you all do this very well. Let me just say that. Some of you do this very well. I don't. I am talking to myself here. I'm so busy getting stuff ready. Look at people in the eyes. Talk to them. Love on them. Congratulate them. Let me say congratulate them for what? For being here. Abdicate. Congratulate. Commemorate. This one's real quick. We've talked about this before. Know the history behind everything that we're doing. Remember that we are not an individual church located outside of time in the plan of God. 
we exist in the very same flow of worship that these people in Nehemiah 11 and 12 were a part of. I would encourage you to study church history. You said, well, that sounds like fun. Trust me. If you can get in contact with the early saints, if you can get in contact with Nehemiah, if you can get in contact with Augustine, if you can get in contact with Martin Luther and see this great crowd and flood of witnesses that are listed all throughout history and understand how we tie in with them and how the traditional Christian faith came to us. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Commemorate that for proper worship. Populate. This is not be fruitful and multiply, even though you can do that if you're married. Populate, it's just this, be here. Just be here. If you can at all be here, if you've got to make a little bit of sacrifice to be here, just be here. It's in our church covenant to be regular in corporate worship, to regularly attend corporate worship. Listen, be here. We want you to be here. We want you to be a set of eyes that we're looking at, a set of teeth that we see smiling. Populate. Just be here and be in the lives of God's people who are in this church. Abdicate, congratulate, commemorate, populate. Last two, consecrate. Set aside your life on purpose for worship individually and as a family and chiefly from what we've seen today for corporate worship. Consecrate your life. Separate yourself from the worries and things of the world that are crowding out your mind and your heart and you walk through the store and you're not thinking about the people of God or the things of God or the Bible. You're just thinking, okay, I've got two hours. I've got to get out of here. I've got this going on. Stop it. Set aside this time to focus your attention on God. Last week we talked about the Sabbath and how they did that on purpose. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Set apart this time. Set apart this day. To be with God's people. And consecrate your heart, your mind, your mouth, your hands. And say, today God, I am yours. Now that should happen every day, but there's something special about the day when we get together. Today God, I'm not. We we try to do a thing at home. No screen Sunday. No TV, no phones, no tablets. You're like, well, what? You got, you're, you're surrounded by it. I'm just saying I'm not checking social media and surfing and mindlessly so that we can detox from this, which you need to do, by the way, and so that you can look at people and rest. Consecrate yourself for corporate worship. This is a big deal. Not because so you can come and hear me talk. God is honored when His people gather and worship Him corporately. Set yourself apart for that. On purpose. It's going to cost you. We've already covered sacrifice, right? Abdicate. Yes, it's going to cost you. Be here, populate, and set yourself apart for this time. Last one. Celebrate. You know, what Jason prayed this morning at the end of the music is true. Some of you are going through hard times. Some of you are suffering right now. I get it. And you don't feel like putting on a happy face. Then don't. That's fine. That's good. Be honest. Come in here and celebrate by being broken, by asking for prayer. Hanging your head, weeping. That's good. It's right. Hard. I'm not saying it's good that you're crying. 
But it is good that you're crying. But if you're not in one of those places, man, this should be, this should be a, if not the, highlight of your week. This should be a stinking party every Sunday. We're with the people of God, in the Word of God, singing songs about the gospel of God, partaking of the table. We're immersed in Scripture. And these are, I mean, most of y'all are all right. Some of y'all are, smell funny, but it's all right. I smell funny. Let's smell funny together. And let's enjoy this. Oh, if this is a trudgery and, oh, i got to go to church, you're missing the point. The point of this is celebration so that they hear it far off. Those people know how to worship God, not because they're loud, but because they are rejoicing in the Lord in the way that He has prescribed. And how is He prescribed? We come to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and we commemorate Him every week. And we look into this Word and we're shaped and we're fashioned and we say, Yes! Yes! This is right. This is good. And yes, it's hard. And we say, Yes! And we sit down and we eat and we're like, Man, those pepperoni rolls are good, right? Man, baked potatoes are good, y'all. Stay and have some today. And we don't have to like have streamers and popping party those types. that's not what I'm talking about I'm just talking about this being the highlight of your week and it really should be really should be if it's not let's take steps to make it so in your personal life for our corporate life I love this picture of them walking around this wall on top of this wall blowing horns and strumming harps and singing back and forth and then they get to the temple and it's just that's like a subdued because I don't want to hurt your ears but they are so happy to be there I want you to celebrate when you come to church on Sunday morning because you've done the work you've given up your rights you've remembered where you've come from in commemoration you're looking at people in the eye and you're enjoying people you're here you set apart your life in this time for the worship of God and then you come together and you celebrate. It's a beautiful picture. It's almost like God knew what He was doing. We get to rejoice in that. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are faithful. We thank You, God, that in Your presence is the fullness of joy. And we thank You that we've learned from Nehemiah that The joy of the Lord is our strength. God, I thank you for these people who are in this building this morning. I thank you for the people who aren't here who would normally be here. I thank you for your plan that includes the church. I thank you that you have, by the sacrifice of Christ, made us the very body of Christ. And God, when we come together, may we celebrate Jesus and rejoice in Him and in the good news of the gospel. That we are sinners and that Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sins upon Himself on the cross and paid our penalty, died, was buried, was resurrected, and now sits at Your right hand making intercession for His people. 
May we place our faith in Him and His work and celebrate that work from now and all throughout eternity. That is your goal for us. May we taste it now. And may we rejoice in you and in each other for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a brief benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can, y'all.